today on Ag News Daily. At Leading Harvest, we're focused on harmonizing sustainability across various crops. And so I provide a couple of of areas in terms of metrics. We work across 100 different crop types. Good afternoon and happy Thursday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, what do you know today? Well, Ashton, it's not a very chipper day for those folks over in the Black Sea region because we have a little bit of an update here on, I won't call them escalating tensions yet, but Russia has sounded the alarm bells and shared that they will be having a quote-unquote naval missile exercise in the northern Black Sea region and have warned folks that this could close off Ukraine's southern coastline for this upcoming missile drill practice of sorts next week. So they're not you know, doing anything yet, but it's certainly an interesting time that they've just so conveniently chosen to have this naval practice. Yeah, it seems like a a bit of a weird timing on Russia's part, but I don't know. I'm not going to say too much because I don't want to get into all the growing tensions over there. And of course, we've been continuing to to watch that, but uh, I don't know, a little weird if you ask me. It is. And actually, I was doing some reading this morning because I it was brought to my attention that it was actually pretty common for Russia to invade, not necessarily Ukraine. It's just been Ukraine in recent years, but it's actually a very common practice for Russia to invade or heighten tensions with countries during the Olympics, more specifically the Winter Olympics. But there have been multiple events since 1980 where Russia has taken a stand. They've invaded Ukraine a couple of times, Crimea, George, so Afghanistan. So this has been a common practice that has years of history behind Ashton, which I just thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that this is something that they maybe routinely do. I don't know. I think that it is a a bit weird. I don't know if they just are really wanting the spotlight when it's not on them because of the Winter Olympics or what? It's um apparently a, a very, very elaborate tactic that I don't fully understand. This is just what I've discovered since reading it, a diversionary tactic where basically they use the Olympics because attention is on the Olympics and they kind of use that as an opportunity to you know, go in the back door somewhere else in other countries because so many other countries are at the Olympics participating in the events, focusing on that coverage and don't pay as close attention to what's going on with Russia. So like I said, I'm not an expert in this. I just read some articles this morning, but it is certainly an interesting topic to dive more into. Well, Delaney, a topic that I am always interested in is animal genetics. I have been known to pay closer attention to livestock news. And this bit definitely caught my eye today because last week there was the cattle industry convention that was held in Houston. And now we're finally getting some things rolling out on what was talked about. And one of the things that the industry, I guess, is really starting to ramp up paying more attention to is using beef cattle on dairy cows and 
doing a, a hybrid sort of thing there. Glenn Dozel of Cargill Proteins points out several strengths when it comes to this kind of genetic breeding, such as more sustainable beef production than with purebred dairy steers, a high percentage of black-hided animals, higher yields than purebred dairy steers, fewer yield grade fours and fives on the USDA yield grading scale, improved beef tenderness, and and a list of other things. But I just thought it was pretty interesting that we're going to probably be seeing more beef on dairy animals out there when it comes to the cattle industry. Certainly is interesting, Ashton. And I know you had another piece of livestock-related news pertaining to the poultry industry. Why don't you share that with us as well? Yeah. So yesterday, you know, we talked about Indiana coming down with a case of bird flu and Mexico came out today and said that they are planning on banning the entry of poultry products that are originating or coming from the state of Indiana after that outbreak. I don't know when they're going to lift this or anything like that, but they did make that statement that it's only for Indiana. They're not stopping a complete cease of imports from the U.S. when it comes to poultry, just the state of Indiana. But we're going to keep following along that story and see if we see any other commercial flocks come down with bird flu. I think that maybe it's only a matter of time since this since this is the second case of bird flu that we've seen in the U.S., but the first, of course, for that commercial operation. And Ashton, while we're looking at China, of course, all eyes have been on China and where they are buying their soybean products from as we're seeing the Brazilian soybean crop come online. And we saw private exports reported sales today of 299,000 metric tons of soybeans this morning, as well as 23,000, excuse me, 233,000 of old crop and 66,000 of that was new crop headed to unknown destinations, which typically means China. And the Thursday weekly export sales data that was released this morning came within expectations. Corn was a little bit lower than where analysts were expecting, but otherwise pretty much right in line with analyst expectations. However, one thing that was not in line with analyst expectations and really was exciting this morning for the markets was the new update today that Brazil's CONAB, which is, of course, similar to their USDA type of organization, announced a big cut today to the Brazilian soybean crop of 11% in total, or about 15 million tons that they slashed their estimate for on the 21-22 growing cycle, citing more dry weather in South America has contributed to their increased reduction in Brazilian production. That's a little bit of a tongue twister there, but corn estimates were also lower just slightly from 112.9 million metric tons last month to 112.3 million metric tons this month. But yeah, a big cut there to Brazilian soybean production overall, which again, you know, you have to ask yourself at what point do soybeans fizzle out this rally, but that certainly is supportive news for the marketplace. Delaney, I have a bit of Chinese news myself, and it's concerning their relationship with Lithuania because China has now suspended Lithuanian beef, dairy, and beer imports. Lithuania is saying that this is due to a growing trade dispute over their relationship with Taiwan. They 
are saying that Lithuania had allowed Taiwan to open a de facto embassy in its capital last year, and that angered Beijing, which says that the island of Taiwan is its own territory. So we have, of course, been talking a little bit about Taiwan and the dispute that's really going on there. But China is saying that it informed Lithuania that it was halting the exports due to lack of documentation. It added that this is the first such notification that Lithuania had ever received because the importing countries usually start by asking for any missing information before they really just do a complete halt of imports. But it's a weird situation, I think. You know, China is saying it's one thing. Lithuania is saying it's due to another. And China is really giving no explanation to this especially when it comes to the beef side. The Chinese agency said earlier today that it had stopped imports of Lithuanian beef. They gave no specific reason for that relationship. So I think that it's really questionable what's going on here on China's part. Well, you know, you talk about Russia-Ukraine relations. Well, Taiwan-Chinese relations are obviously continuing to escalate as well, Ashton. Yeah, I think that you really hit the nail on the head there, Delaney. And I suspect that we're going to have some more news to talk about next week when it comes to these things, because I feel like Taiwan has been in the headlines here a lot more recently. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that, Ashton. But I tell you what, I'm pretty much all out of news for today. Aside from the markets, what do you have left for us? Well, I just had one other thing, and I thought it was pretty interesting because it's talking about mink farming. We really haven't heard a whole lot from the mink industry since really when the pandemic was at its height because of mink contracting COVID-19. But this is a whole different issue that we're going to be discussing here today because the Animal Ag Alliance says that other ag sectors should be closely watching what happens with federal legislation that would end mink farming. Emily Solis with the Animal Ag Alliance told Brownfield Ag News that an amendment backed by several animal rights groups in the recently passed U.S. House America Competes Act bans mink production in the U.S. and could have dangerous ramifications on other ag industries. She said that if fully passed, she would expect animal extremists to target other sectors of animal agriculture. And I thought that this was particularly interesting because, as you know, those kinds of animal activists, animal rights groups are, I think, known to be a little bit aggressive. And if this was to pass, I just don't know where they would try to target next. That's a very good question. I won't even get into it, but Ashton, have you read the most recent New York Times article that came out? I think it was last week now. I did. I did. And, you know, Dawson who helps us from time to time on the podcast, came back with uh, not a, a retaliation, but just- An opinion piece. Yeah, giving his opinion on what he thinks of it. And, you know, many other agriculturalists and people involved in the industry did as well. So I'm proud of those people and proud that we have such an industry that can stand up for itself. But um, yeah, it, it wasn't my favorite piece, not Dawson's, no. but the New York Times. It really got my blood boiling. I read it one night last week and then started reading through the comments, which actually were surprisingly, for the most part, I would say supportive, at least the ones I wrote for agriculture in general. But yeah, things like that really blood my boil or boil my blood, <laughs> including the the story like you just mentioned there. So anyways, let's move on to, well, I was going to say greener pastures, but markets did not finish in the green today, Ashton. We saw huge moves in the overnight last night 
opening up today. We tried it about 30 cents higher in November new crop soybeans before ending pretty significantly in the red today. So that Brazilian cut to, or that Conab cut to Brazilian production uh, definitely did something to spark the market's excitement here early on in the day, but we couldn't follow through with that action here as we close lower across the board. I think it's going to be interesting to see how we trade tomorrow, given the weakness that we saw to finish out the day today. But March soybeans down 20 and a half cents on the day, settling at 15.74 and a quarter. November new crop beans down five and a half cents, closing at 14.32. In the corn pits today, the March contract closed five cents lower at 6.41 and three quarters. The Dece down three and three quarters cents, closing at 584 and three quarters. Wheat was not spared today from the weakness as the March Chicago contract shed 13 and a half cents, closing at 771 and a half. The May down 12 and a quarter cent, closing at 778 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we certainly saw that weakness continue as the April live cattle contract shed 95 cents, closing at a buck 46. The June down 87 and a half cents, closing at 141.60. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract gave up $1.55 today, closing at 166.72.5. The April down 82.5 cents, closing at 171.75. And in lean hogs today, the April contract gave up $1.35, settling at 103.42. The May cut $1.25, closing at 107.70. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. They were the only market to see a little green today as the March contract added three pennies, closing at 22.07. The April contract shed a penny, closing at 22.50. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's interview. Today, we're talking to Andrew Laver of Leading Harvest. Well, folks, we are joined today by Andrew Laver, who is the new Director of Programs and Strategic Alliances at Leading Harvest. And Andrew, I've known you for quite a few years. It's been a pleasure to watch you and your career grow. But for those of our listeners that don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background. Yes, I grew up on a farm in Western Iowa, um, corn and soybean operation along with livestock. And the passion for agriculture and commitment to hard work that I developed there led to uh, studying agriculture at Iowa State University and uh, then had a brief stint in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill that then led to a career in the biotech industry uh, focused on precision agriculture and crop inputs. And then there was a, a point when um the Raccoon River watershed in Western Iowa was under scrutiny with water quality, and that's where my family farms. And I developed a, a great passion for that and conservation as well, and went to law school at Drake University. And um, at law, when I was in law school, uh, found a, a passion for public policy and ag policy. And uh, that's really led me to where I am here today at Leading Harvest to uh, influence the future of agriculture at the farm gate, um, but then also uh, sustainability, conservation, and and the environment too. Andrew, all these things has really led to your new position here with Leading Harvest. So before we get into what it is that you're doing there and talking about that, tell us a little bit more about Leading Harvest and what that organization is doing. 
Absolutely. At Leading Harvest, we're focused on harmonizing sustainability across various crops. And so I provide a couple of, of areas in terms of metrics. We work across 100 different crop types, um, working with farmers across the U.S. and abroad. Uh, typically, one, one farm doesn't just grow one single crop, and there are crop rotation reasons for that and breaking disease cycles, for example. And so we're able to work across the various crops. Um, and that scope of work in the U.S. is a million and a half acres um, that we're focused on. And then in Australia, we just launched a pilot on a million acres there, again, focused on uh, sustainable agriculture through our farmland management standard and bringing value to the grower to meet the demands that consumer-facing companies have through the goals that they have set um, to focus on on a more sustainable agriculture, driven all the way down to the farm level uh, and the acres that are cultivated. Now, Andrew, I got to call you out a little bit because sustainable or sustainability is such a buzz term in agriculture. Tell us what you're actually doing to address sustainability and how does your role help answer that question? That is a great question. And I'll tell you why I'm so excited to be here at Leading Harvest. Um, having grown up on a family farm with acres enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Program and a very conservation-minded uh, grandfather and father that passed those values down to me, um, is that Leading Harvest, we are verifying and certifying much of what the farmer is already doing on their operation. Therefore, then through certification, providing them value to be able to take that to a processor, um, someone they may hold a contract with, and through um, a third party, be able to illustrate that in terms of the conservation practices they have, what they're doing to meet water quality and improve soil health. Um, and that value that is then brought to them, they're able, able to leverage and really elevate that um, value of the commodity beyond what the board of trade may say, you know, it's, it's worth because what they're doing is contributing to the environment and the goals that the company may have, um, that they're providing the product to. Andrew, quick follow-up for you. You mentioned that you're verifying this. How are you guys going about going about doing that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So we work with, um, a third party auditor, the farmers that we work with uh, have have their choice. They can they can choose um, the auditor that that they would like to work with. Um, ma many of ours um, work through Keiko Isom is the name of um, the company that they work with, and then they have a subsidiary as well, Avirum. And um, that third party audit is, uh, in the words of of a farmer that we worked with this past year. Uh, through the the Walton Family Foundation grant we had in in uh, the Mississippi River watershed, simple. It was a simple process. Um, many of the forms I already had and and goals I already had set for my farm from a conservation standpoint, and um, that's you know that's something that uh, we like to hear is it's a simple process and we have a readiness assessment associated with enrollment um, on the acres that that go through the uh, farmland management standard at leading harvest and that readiness assessment ensures that a farmer uh, has the 
ability and every opportunity to receive that ultimate certification to drive value for the crop that they have, one of those 100 crops that they may be growing, um, or if they're growing five or six, then it encompasses all of those crops too. Andrew, I want to talk a little bit more about sustainability here. You know, it sounds like something that you're passionate about and everyone really at Leading Harvest is as well. On your website, leadingharvest.org, the standard at Leading Harvest, there's 13 sustainability principles that you guys talk about on your website. And I I don't want to get into all 13. I don't know that we have enough time to dive into all those things, but do you think that, you know, one is more important than the other, or are they all equal? I want to get your thoughts a little bit more on that. You know, looking at the principles, there are several that may apply most to specific geographies. So if you think about the million and a half acres we're working across in the United States, some of those areas, for example, may really leverage water as a resource to grow a crop through irrigation. Whereas where I sit today, uh, located in Western Iowa, um, typically we're tiling farms to, to get uh, water to move off in the prairie pothole region here in the Des Moines lobe, um, where we have very heavy soils. And so there are certain areas and geographies where, um, again, the standard meets a farmer where they're at. And so when it comes to um, that water utilization and protection of water resources, that can look different in Iowa versus um, a farm in Colorado, for example. So we're mindful of that. Um, but some, some of the areas that I think uh, excite me most about our work here at Leading Harvest is that we factor in, um, for example, one of our uh, principles is communities. How is your farm interacting with the local community around you? Uh, are you serving on a commodity board, for example, or um, ways that your farm is visible in the community? Because when we think about the uh, farm itself and the longevity of that farm and our involvement as we coexist uh, in rural communities and agriculture and with consumers, community factors into it. And I'm thankful that we do take um, that time to learn about what farmers are doing in that space because they have a lot of great stories to share. Andrew, it's really exciting to see you uh, start to flourish in this new role. You know, you've been there just under a month now, so we certainly wish you all the best. And as we mentioned, the Leading Harvest website for those of our listeners who are curious and want to learn more is leadingharvest.org. But Andrew, I want to ask you just one final question here as we wrap up. You know, you're obviously very new in this role and just getting started. But when you look back at your career in a couple of years, uh, what's going to define success for you in this role? Well, I would say that bringing Leading Harvest and our certification to scale across the U.S. agricultural supply chain would certainly be an element and a measure of success. And um, one one of the areas that that we're most excited uh, about is working with consumer facing companies all the way down back to that acre that they may have um, contracted in in the field in Nebraska, for example. And um, to be able to work with farmers. And then bridge that gap with uh, the consumer facing companies and also leverage relationships with commodity organizations and um, the growers that, that are advocating for the future of agriculture to meet the demands 
that consumers and, and companies may be placing through the goals that that they've set uh, is something that I'm just so excited about. And it's an honor to be doing it from uh, um, you know perspective here at, at Leading Harvest uh, to truly just continue to transform U.S. agriculture. And as I said, bring our certification to scale uh, across acres uh, in the U.S. and abroad, too. Fantastic. Well, Andrew, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, appreciate uh, appreciate uh, the many people who've been involved to get us to where we are today here at Leading Harvest. Thanks again there to Andrew for coming on and chatting with us about Leading Harvest. Definitely a great conversation, especially when we talk about that sustainability buzzword. And Ash and I tell you what, if I had to put money on it, I would say Andrew is going somewhere, probably going to be a future politician or secretary of agriculture or something like that in the future. I just have a very strong feeling about that one. You know, whenever he is sitting in the Oval Office one day as President Delaney, I'm excited that we can say that we had him on the podcast before. We can say we called it. That's true. (laughs) Good point. Well, folks, we are always having interesting people like Andrew on the Ag News Daily podcast. So be sure to catch us at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.